The reading this morning is Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 16, um, on page 968 of the Church Bibles. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything, except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. My name is Prash. I'm the Senior Minister. A very warm welcome to you, especially if you're visiting us today for either Jacinta's baptism or Mike's confirmation. It's a, we top and tail the service with great moments. And then you have me in the middle. Um, but it, this morning, we, uh, we do some... This is, if you've never been to church before, uh, this is a moment in the service where we pause and we spend time reflecting on the Bible. We just had a reading from the Bible. We do this every week. And so we're doing it again this morning. And if you're joining us for this morning, you're joining us, we've been in a series for the last few weeks looking at Jesus' life retold through Matthew, uh, one, of, one of his disciples, one of uh, a group of people who followed Jesus' ministry, really, from, from the moment he's baptised through to his death and resurrection and so Matthew tells us the story of Jesus' life, and we've been following that, and we're going to continue that this morning. As we start, uh, I've got a picture for you. I, I don't know if you know what that, that location is or that place is. It is uh, the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C., and the photo is being taken from the Washington Monument, which is that long obelisk at the other end. Uh, maybe you've been there. Maybe you've just seen it in a movie. It's quite a well-known um, location in, in kind of American geography, but it's it's actually a very iconic place for Americans because it reflects for them, and if you're an American in the building, you can speak with more authority on this than me, of course, but it's iconic because it reflects for them uh, the the ideas of uh, freedom and liberty, in part because the Lincoln Memorial has Abraham Lincoln, who was uh, one of the first, the first president of the United States, and he 
fought for um, the abolition of slavery, but also it was on the steps of that memorial that Martin Luther King gave his great I Have a Dream speech, which kind of has left a shape over modern American history. And so for Americans, this is a very significant location in their sense of who they are. It tells them a lot about themselves. The reason I say this is because in Matthew's account of Jesus' life, locations really matter. Uh, the, 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 the geography is deliberate by Matthew. Last week, if you were here, we talked about events that took place in the wilderness. The wilderness itself was a very deliberate location uh, that, that reminded them of Israel in the wilderness for 40 years, this moment of history in the nation of Israel. And now here, uh, Jesus... Jesus goes up a mountain. So in verse 1 of the, of the chapter, we're told, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, they had a great crowd who was starting to follow him, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. Now it might be partly because of the acoustics that gave him a, the opportunity to, to be heard better, but Matthew is telling us this because mountains are in of, of themselves also very iconic places in the story of Israel. See, for for Israel, great things happen in mountains. Actually, great moments of revelation happen in mountains. And this sermon, you may have heard of it before. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's probably one of the most famous pieces of teaching that Jesus ever gave. The Sermon on the Mount is, is a very clear reminder for Jews of a very important moment in their history when Moses, the great prophet, went up the mountain, Mount Sinai, received the law, of which we have also the Ten Commandments, and brought them back down for Israel. And in that moment on the mountain, and there are a lot of other mountain moments in the history of Israel, and mountains were a place where God revealed himself, revealed something about himself, about what he was doing, and importantly also about what his kind of people should be like. So Jesus, going up onto the mountainside for Matthew, and for those who are hearing, it was a very iconic moment. And he's telling them something about the kind of people that his kingdom has. He's talked about the kingdom of God just before this. And now he's telling them what the kingdom of God looks like. And what people of his kingdom do. And so he starts his sermon with this great list of descriptions, which we, just, we call often the Beatitudes. And as he does it, he is telling us, in part, what it looks like to be a Christian. I want to spend a little bit of time this morning asking ourselves a couple of questions. What does it look like to be a Christian? What is the purpose of being a Christian or a person of God or a person of the kingdom of God? And what is the hope of being a Christian? What, is the, what does it look like? What is the purpose? And what is the hope for people who are Christians or people of God's kingdom? Now, when we, when we start the sermon, Jesus' sermon, what is so striking is the surprising nature of who he identifies are in his kingdom. Who do you think gets into heaven? Who do you think is the object of God's blessing? Who do you think you would say has been blessed by God? You have a picture of someone. You have a picture of a lifestyle. You have a picture of a position in society. And then you hear Jesus' words. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. 
Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those who are pure in heart, the peacemakers, and those who are persecuted. Jesus says this is who is in his kingdom. This is very surprising. Very surprising. If you think, if you have a vision of who God has blessed, this is not who we naturally tend to. But Jesus says, these are the people who are blessed by God in his kingdom. It's revealing a very interesting dynamic, actually, in the gospel, which Jesus starts here but will keep teaching us, and then the, the New Testament church will keep picking up, which is that you must first go down in order to go up in the gospel. That the gospel is, in, said, in a sense, the story of an upside-down kingdom where the people that we think are important aren't, and the people who don't appear to be important are, in fact, important. The gospel has this kind of movement and the kingdom of God values these kind of people. Those who are poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who meek. Now, you know, to be, to be, to be someone who mourns means you've someone who's lost something very valuable to yourself. To be someone who's meek means that you are someone who does not have power. You're devoid of power. To be someone who's hungers and thirsts for righteousness means that you are not righteous you're someone who's missing something who's longing for something to be someone who's a, a peacemaker means that you're willing to put yourself in the midst of conflict to draw people together these are the people who god has in his kingdom the other thing that strikes me about this list this very surprising list is if you go back to it a lot of these things are internal things and that tells us something about the kingdom that Jesus is speaking about. It is actually primarily about what's inside you before what's outside of you. Now, I know most people actually think the opposite. Most people think that what God primarily cares about is what you do. But Jesus is revealing, he says, what God primarily and firstly cares about is what is in your heart, what is maybe not seen to be poor in spirit, to be someone who mourns, to be someone who's meek. Those are things which are internal more than they are external. It's a very surprising list. I remember I became a Christian when I was in my first year of university. And I was very impacted by a lot of that kind of... I mean, I was a sportsman at the time and I looked up to you know, professional sports people and I was very impacted by that language of self-help you know, and embracing your inner capacity and skills and believing in yourself it took me about three and a half to four years to see what jesus is saying it is not about how good you are it is not about promotion but demotion in the gospel and the values of the gospel are inverted to the values of the world this is very surprising what does it look like to live like a christian it looks like this it looks like valuing this See, God's king, people live in an upside-down kingdom. I don't know what you think about Christianity. Some of you might be people who regularly attend church. You, like Jacinta, or like Mike, are someone who's put your trust in the Lord Jesus. This is maybe not news to you. Maybe it is, actually. Maybe you're like me. You've, left, you've kind of lived your Christian life so far with the mistaken up kind of understanding of what God values, but let the let the Beatitudes and Jesus' opening of the door to the kingdom 
enlighten you to see the kingdom of God is first and foremost an upside-down kingdom. But what is the purpose? That was the second question I have. What is the purpose of being a person of God, a follower of Jesus? And that's, that's actually a relevant question because whenever we suffer, whenever we're called to times of hardship, that is a question that's in the back of our mind. And perhaps that's why Jesus moves there because he answers this question very clearly and this is the second thing that's most surprising about the kingdom that he's introducing to us. He says, you are a light of the world, a town built on a hill. Now he's using, again, the images really important here. They're very, they have a lot, they're pregnant with meaning, so to speak. He says, you're a town built on a hill which cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it on a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, here's the purpose, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Do you see what's very surprising to a lot of, I think to a lot of people here? Jesus says, the purpose of being a follower of God is to glorify the Father to glorify God, not actually to make your life better. That's interesting. I don't discount that that actually may happen, but that is not the primary purpose of God's people. It is to glorify the Father. To glorify... And I said to you, the imagery is very, very important here. The language of being a light to the world or being a city on a hill, again, very pregnant, because... For the Jews, this is predominantly a Jewish crowd that's gathered around him at this time in Jesus' ministry, if not completely Jewish. The the image of the light of the world will remind them of the things that the Old Testament prophets have said of Israel. That they should be a light to the nations. This was the task of Israel. To be a city on a hill, I, I cannot but remind them of Jerusalem which itself was a city on a mound seen from a distance and which the psalmists consistently use as the means by which God makes himself known to the nations, the great city of David, the city of Zion, this city. And so what Jesus is saying is that you are now taking the place of Israel in God's great task. You, people who follow him, he says, are now taking the place of Israel. You're alive. But that in itself is, is I guess, counterintuitive to the, to the Jews who are sitting there. But he's saying something more than that, isn't he? Because when you combine what he's just said here with the description of the kind, what God's people look like in the Beatitudes, he's saying that actually it's the lowly, it's the poor in spirit, it's those who mourn, it's those who are meek, who are actually God's light to the nations. It's the poor. It's the persecuted. It's those who suffer, who are burdened, who are are weighed down, who are God's light. That's pretty unusual. Again, for the Jews, as they think about this imagery, they always thought of Israel as being the lights of nations, as they conquered nations, as as under God's hand they overcame the nations of Canaan. But now Jesus is saying, no, the kingdom, this upside-down kingdom with people who are upside down, so to speak, in values and priorities, those people are the ones who bring glory to the Father. You might think that's, that's counterintuitive. How can 
a, a, a person poor in spirit and meek, someone who is captured by their loss and in mourning, bring glory to the Father? Well, first of all, that's what Jesus says. And someone who hears him as the Son of God speaking, that carries weight for me. But so too does the experience of God's people. I, I, think, I think of one lady, her name is Joni Erickson Tart. I don't know if you know her story. It's a very profound story. She was a, she was a 17-year-old, and she, uh, you know, she loved outdoor sports. She, she kind of went to church. She did all those things. She was very you know, outgoing, pretty young girl. One day she dives into the Chesapeake Bay, hits her head on the ground, breaks her neck. She's a, a, a paraplegic. I think that's the term. She, she ends up like this. She can't move. She goes through great seasons of suffering and hardship. In fact, later in life, she's diagnosed with breast cancer. She's suicidal at times, coming to terms with the, the extraordinary change in her life. And yet... As she reflects on her life now, she sees that actually God has been glorified and she has been used in a far more profound way now than she was before. So here's what she says. She says, God deliberately chooses weak, suffering and unlikely candidates to get his work done so that in the end, the glory goes to God and not to the person. You know what? This is, if you are someone for whom when those categories were being read out, you you could resonate with those categories. This is, this is great news for you, isn't it? Because actually, what Jesus is saying is the privilege of the lowly, the privilege of the burdened, the privilege of the poor in spirit is to bring glory to God. To bring glory to God. You see, the Christian faith is not a faith of power. Certainly not in us. It's a story of God's power through the lowly and the broken, actually. This is a great privilege. Now, I want to say, though, that this is a very... The list is a very difficult list, actually, to embrace. For a couple of reasons. First of all, as I said before, what Jesus is teaching is so counterintuitive to us, right? You might think that's great, but to actually be this kind of light in the world is very difficult because we're actually oriented a very different way. Where Jesus says that the path of kingdom people is to go down, the world says the path of successful people is to go up. And, and whether you like it or not, that's how most of us are wired. That's why on a Saturday afternoon, every Every shop in Chatswood has a queue outside because it's a tuition centre. Because we're driven towards this. We believe that actually it is only by being ambitious, by promoting ourselves, by equipping ourselves, that we might reach glory. Because, you see, it's an upside-down kingdom and, and we don't operate that way naturally. But it's also difficult because, as I said to you, it's an inside-out thing as well, right? And what's on the inside matters more than what's on the out. And, and that means it, it has to be a deep, deep transformation in you that you might actually admire being 
someone who is poor in spirit. Not just that you are poor in spirit for a season, but it is a whole reorientation of yourself. Actually, this has become very clear to me recently because in um, one of our early service, for some reason our early service appears to attract people who are going through great crises in their life. They come to church, they've lost their job, someone has passed away who they love, uh, a marriage has fallen apart. They come, they're poor in spirit. But it hasn't gone, their, their understanding of their self hasn't really gone deep into their heart. So really what they are is they're, they're, they're experiencing a poverty of some sort, but perhaps not a poverty of spirit. Because they come for a while, they're there every week. 7.45, it takes commitment to be at a 7.45 service. These people are there. But then after a couple of months, their life kind of stabilises and they drop off. You know why that is? Because their whole sense of their understanding of the self is not what Jesus is talking about. Yes, they've been impoverished for a season, but they're not poor in spirit. And what Jesus is saying is, to be in the kingdom, you, you, you need like your whole sense of self to be completely reoriented. Not just for a season, not just because of the circumstances, but because you are seeing things in a whole new way. Your sense of value and purpose and priority have been inverted. And that is very difficult. That is very difficult. You can't just turn that on. Even circumstances can't bring that about. You understand? I mean, they can for a season. But when the circumstances change, if you have not been changed, you will revert. You will revert. We will revert. And so that puts a bit of a dampener on the whole purpose of, of God's people. But I, I want to just finish with what is the hope for Christian people? Because that's also here, although it's, it's, it's hidden away a little bit, but it's there. So we have to understand Jesus' sermon, and the next couple of weeks we're going to touch on other major themes in it, so we'd love to see you back as we go on that journey. But Jesus' sermon needs to be understood not just in the context of this mountain moment where God is revealing himself like Moses, like he revealed himself to Moses through the teaching of Jesus, but a second mountain moment because there is another mountain that comes in the story of the gospel. And it's the mountain where Jesus goes up to the cross where he bears on himself not just a wooden beam, which they'll eventually nail him to, but the Bible tells us the sins of the world, the failure of the world. And that mountain is also a mountain of revelation. And when Jesus goes up there, we learn something even more profound about who God is. And we can only understand Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount in light of that. I just want to give us two implications of that second mountain on Jesus' teaching. The first is this. When you read the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who meek, blessed are those who who are peacemakers. And you read that in light of the second mountain. What you start to realise is that is who Jesus is. That's who Jesus is. In a sense, the Beatitudes is a beautiful picture of not you, 
but Jesus. Jesus. You get this? I know. I know what you want to do with the Beatitudes. You want to turn them into a checklist about how you're meant to live. But actually, they're a statement about the glory and the majesty of God found in his son, the Lord Jesus. They're a moment of revelation about who God is. Jesus, the sinless one, who was burdened by the sin of the world, that's what it is to be poor in spirit. Jesus, the great, glorious son of God, who left his throne and found himself on a Roman cross. Meekness in majesty. That is who Jesus is, you see? The everlasting king on his knees in the Garden of Gethsemane. That is meekness, right? That's who Jesus is. And so when we talk about being the light to the nations, actually, there is only one who is the true light of the world. It's Jesus. So for one of God's people to shine a light is not to present, sorry, to present themselves as, as this extraordinary character list of virtues, but to present Christ. For people to encounter you and to take a step back, to gasp, because who they're meeting, who they're encountering, and who they're confronted by is actually Jesus. They're, they're, they're profoundly impacted by who Christ is. As a church, our goal is not that... We hope you have a great time today if you're visiting, by the way. But our goal is not that you will come and say, Ah, oh, St. Stephen's, what a great church. What a great bunch of people. No. How good is Jesus? How good is Jesus? There's a second implication of this, though. Because the, the mountain, of course, finishes with an empty grave, doesn't it? And the story of the kingdom is that you must first go down in order to go up, says Jesus. And it is in Jesus' life, the one who descended to hell but was raised to glory, that we see God making his promise true. And so so when, when God says to you, blessed are the mourning because they will be comforted, the resurrection of Jesus, who was dead for three days... And then rose from the dead and is seated at the right hand of the Father and will come in glory. Tells us we can believe that. Tells us not just that we can believe, it will happen. It will happen. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. That promise is true because of the gospel. It is trustworthy because of the gospel. And the Beatitudes become accessible because of the gospel. Let me show you why as we finish. Let me take you back just to an example. But you can apply it to all of them. I told you that you want to read the Beatitudes as blessed are the poor in spirit. And if they, if they are poor in spirit, then they'll have the kingdom of heaven. But that's not what Jesus, that's not what the gospel is. The gospel is the assurance that because of Christ, you have the kingdom. So now... You can be poor in spirit. Because of Christ, you are comforted. So now you can mourn. The assurance of Jesus is this. 
what goes down in the kingdom will come up by the power of God. By the power of God. I want to, I want to encourage you, take hold of Christ. Take hold of Christ. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for the words of Jesus in this sermon, for the challenge that it is. We recognize, Heavenly Father, that none of us is equipped to fulfill it perfectly. And yet we thank you for the Lord Jesus who went up that mountain, bore our sin, and was everything he called us to be for our sake. Lord, would you fill us with such joy that comes from believing in Christ, such confidence, such deep-filled gospel optimism that we might be meek, we might mourn, we might embrace poverty in spirit, we might be persecuted for the sake of righteousness, we might throw ourselves into the midst of conflict and be peacemakers, we might relinquish the right for revenge and vengeance. We might be weighed down. We might be burdened because we know in your kingdom what goes down goes up. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.